Chapter Eight of Ravenstein Court by J. S. Fletcher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Was it a woman? Had Miss Raven and I suddenly been caught up out of that little coast village and transported to the far east on a magic carpet, to be set down in the twinkling of an eye on some oriental threshold? we could scarcely have been more surprised than we were at the sight of that bland smiling countenance for the moment i was at a loss to think who and what the man could be he was in the dress of his own country a neat close-fitting high-buttoned blue jacket there was a little cap on his head and a pigtail dependent from behind it i was not sufficiently acquainted with chinese costumes to gather any idea of his rank or position from these things for aught I knew to the contrary, he might be a Mandarin who for some extraordinary reason had found his way to this out-of-the-world spot. And my answer to his courteous invitation doubtless sounded confused and awkward. "'Oh, thank you,' I said. "'Pray don't let us put you to any trouble. If we may just stand under your porch a moment.' He stood a little aside, waving us politely into the hall behind him. Dr. Lorimer would be very angry with me if I allowed a lady and gentleman to stand at his door and did not invite them into his house, he said, in the same even mellifluous tones, please to enter. Oh, is this Dr. Lorimer's, I said? Thank you. We'll come in. Is Dr. Lorimer at home? Presently, he answered, he is in the village. He closed the door as we entered, passed us with a bow, preceded us along the hall, and threw open the door of a room which looked out on a trim garden at the rear of the house. Still smiling and bland, he invited us to be seated, and then, with another bow, left the room, apparently walking on velvet. Miss Raven and I glanced at each other. "'So Dr. Lorimore has a Chinese manservant,' she said. "'How picturesque!' "'Hm,' I muttered. She gave me a questioning, half-amused glance, and dropped her voice. "'Don't you like Easterns?' she whispered. "'I like them in the East,' I replied. "'In Northumberland they don't—shall we say they don't fit in with the landscape?' "'I think he fits in here,' she retorted, looking round. "'This is a bit Oriental.' She was right in that. The room into which we had been ushered was certainly suggestive of what one had heard of India. There were fine Indian rugs on the floor, ivories and brasses in the cabinets. The curtains were of fabric that could only have come out of some eastern bazaar. There was a faint, curious scent of sandalwood and of dried rose leaves. And on the mantelpiece, where, in English households, a marble clock generally stands, reposed a peculiarly ugly hindu god cross-legged hideous of form whose baleful eyes seemed to follow all our movements yes i admitted reflectively i think he fits in here dr lorimore said he had been in india for some years didn't he he appears to have brought some of it home with him i suppose this is his drawing-room said miss raven now, if it only looked out on palm-trees and—and and all the other things that one associates with India. Just so, said I. What it does look out on, however, is a typical English garden, on which at present about a ton of rain is descending. 
and we are nearly three miles from Ravensdene Court. Oh, but it won't keep on like that for long, she said, and I suppose if it does that we can get some sort of a conveyance. Perhaps Dr. Lorrimore has a broom that he'd lend us. I don't think that's very likely, said I. The country practitioner, I think, is more dependent on a bicycle than on a broom. But here is Dr. Lorrimore. I had just caught sight of him as he entered his garden by a door set in its ivy-covered wall. He ran hastily up the path to the house. Within a minute or two, divested of his mackintosh, he opened the door of our room. "'So glad you were near enough to turn in here for shelter!' he exclaimed, shaking hands with us warmly. "'I see that neither of you expected rain. Now I did, and I went out prepared.' "'We made for the first door we saw,' said Miss Raven, "'but we'd no idea it was yours, Dr. Lorrimore. And do tell me. The Chinese,' she continued in a whisper, "'is he your manservant?' Lorrimore laughed, rubbing his hands together. That day he was not in the solemn raven-hued finery in which he had visited Ravensdene Court. Instead he wore a suit of grey tweed, in which I thought he looked rather younger and less impressive than in black. But he was certainly no ordinary man, and as he stood there smiling at Miss Raven's eager face, I felt conscious that he was the sort of somewhat mysterious, rather elusive figure in which women would naturally be interested. Manservant, he said, with another laugh, he's all the servant I've got. Wing. He's two or three other monosyllabic patronymics, but Wing suffices, is an invaluable person. He's a model cook, valet, launderer, general factotum. There's nothing that he can't or won't do for making the most perfect curries. I must have Mr. Raven to try them against the achievements of his man to taking care about the halfpennies when he goes his round of the tradesmen. Oh, he's a treasure. I assure you, Miss Raven, you could go round of this house at any moment without finding a thing out of place or a speck of dust in any corner. A model. You brought him from India, I suppose, said I. I brought him from India, yes, he answered. He'd been with me there some time before I left. So, of course, we're thoroughly used to each other. And does he really like living here? asked Miss Raven, in such absolutely different surroundings. Oh, well, I think he's a pretty good old hand at making the best of the moment, laughed Lorrimore. He's a philosopher, deep, inscrutable, in short, he's Chinese. He has his own notions of happiness. At present he's supremely happy in getting you some tea, you mightn't think it, but that saffron-faced Eastern can make an English plum-cake that will put the swellest London pastry-cook to shame. You must try it. The Chinaman presently summoned us to tea, which he had laid out in another room, obviously Lorrimore's dining-room. There was nothing Oriental in that. Rather, it was eminently Victorian, an affair of heavy furniture, steel engravings, and an array on the sideboard of what I suppose was old family plate. Wing ushered us and his master in with due ceremony, and left us. When the door had closed on him, Lorrimore gave us an arch glance. You see how readily and skilfully 
That chap adapts himself to the needs of the moment, he said. Now, you mightn't think it, but this is the very first time I have ever been honoured with visitors to afternoon tea. Observe how Wing immediately falls in with English taste and custom. Without a word from me, out comes the silver teapot, the best china, the finest linen. He produces his choicest plum cake, the bread and butter is cut with wafer-like thinness, and the tea, ah, well, no Englishwoman, Miss Raven, can make tea as a Chinese manservant can. It's quite plain that you've got a treasure in your house, Dr. Lorrimore, said Miss Raven, but then the Chinese are very clever, aren't they? Very remarkable people indeed, assented our host, shrewd, observant, penetrative, I have often wondered if this man of mine would find any great difficulty in seeing through a brick wall. He would be a useful person, perhaps, in solving the present mystery, said I. The police seem to have got no further. Ah, the quick business, remarked Lorrimore. Hmm, well, as regards that, it seems to me that whatever light is thrown on it will have to be thrown from the other angle, from Devonport. From all that I heard and gathered, it's very evident that what is really wanted is a strict examination into the immediate happenings at Noah Quick's Inn, and also into the antecedents of Noah and Salter. But is there anything fresh? I told him briefly all that had happened that afternoon, of the information given by James Beeman, and of the disappearance of the tobacco-box. "'That's odd,' he remarked. Let's see, it was the old gentleman I saw at Ravenstein Court, who had some fancy about that box, wasn't it? Mr. Cassellet. What was his idea, now? Mr. Cassellet, I replied, saw, or fancied he saw, certain marks or scratches within the lid of the box, which he took to have some meaning. They were, he believed, made with design, with some purpose. He thought that by photographing them, and then enlarging his photograph, he would bring out those marks more clearly, and possibly find out what they were really meant for. Yes, said Lorrimore. Well, what has he discovered? Up to now nobody knows, said Miss Raven. Mr. Cazalet won't tell us anything. That looks as if he had discovered something, observed Lorrimore. But old gentlemen are a little queer, and a little vain, Perhaps he's suddenly going to let loose a tremendous theory, and wants to perfect it before he speaks. Oh, well, he added, almost indifferently, I've known a good many murder mysteries in my time, out in India, and I always found that the really good way of getting at the bottom of them was to go right back, as far back as possible. If I were the police in charge of these cases, I should put one question down before me, and do nothing till I'd exhausted every effort to solve it. And that would be what? I asked. This, said he, what were the antecedents of Noah and Salter Quick? You think they had a past? suggested Miss Raven. Everybody has a past, answered Lorrimore. It may be this, it may be that but nearly all the problems of the present have their origin and solution in the past. Find out what and where those two middle-aged men had been in their time, and then there'll be a chance to work forward. The rain cleared off soon after we had finished tea, 
and presently Miss Raven and I took our leave. Lorrimore informed us that Mr. Raven had asked him to dinner on the following evening. He would accordingly see us again very soon. "'It will be quite an event for me,' he said gaily, as he opened his garden gate. "'I live like an anchorite in this place. A little practice, a very little practice, the folk are scandalously healthy, and a great deal of scientific investigation. That's my lot.' "'But you have a treasure of a servant,' observed Miss Raven. "'Please tell him that his plum-cake was perfection.' The Chinaman was just then standing at the open door, in waiting on his master. Miss Raven threw him a laughing nod, to which he responded with a deep bow. We left them with that curious picture in our minds. Lorrimore, essentially English, in spite of his long residence in the East, the Chinaman, bland, suave, smiling. "'A curious pair, and a strange combination,' I remarked as we walked away. "'That house, at any rate, has a plenitude of brain-power in it. What amazes me is that a clever chap like Master Wing should be content to bury his talents in a foreign place, out of the world, to make curries and plum-cake.' "'Perhaps he has a faithful devotion to his master,' said Miss Raven. Anyway, it's very romantic and picturesque and that sort of thing, to find a real live Chinaman in an English village. I wonder if the poor man gets teased about his queer clothes and his pigtail. Didn't Lorrimore say he was a philosopher, said I? Therefore he'll be indifferent to criticism. I dare say he doesn't go about much. That the Chinaman was not quite a recluse, however, I discovered a day or two later, when going along the headlands for a solitary stroll after a stiff day's work in the library, I turned into the mariner's joy for a glass of Clegg's undeniably good ale. Wing was just coming out of the house as I entered it. He was as neat, as bland, and as smiling as when I saw him before. He was still in his blue jacket, his little cap. But he was now armed with a very large umbrella, and on one arm he carried a basket filled with small parcels. Evidently he had been on a shopping expedition. He greeted me with a deep obeisance and respectful smile, and went on his way. I entered the inn and found its landlord alone in his bar-parlour. "'You get some queer customers in here, Mr. Clegg,' I observed, as he attended to my modest wants. Yet it's not often, I should think, that a real live Chinaman walks in on you. "'He's been in two or three times, that one,' replied Clegg. "'Chinaman he is, no doubt, sir, but it strikes me he must know as much of this country as he knows of his own, for he speaks our tongue like a native. A bit soft and mincing-like, but never at a loss for a word. Dr. Lorrimore's servant, I understand.' "'He has been in Dr. Lorrimore's service for some years,' I answered. "'No doubt he's had abundant opportunities of picking up the language. "'Still, it's an odd sight to see a Chinaman, pigtail and all, in these parts, isn't it?' "'Well, I've had all sorts in here time and again,' replied Clegg reflectively. "'Sailormen, mostly. "'But,' he added with a meaning look, of all the lot, that poor chap has got knifed the other week was the most mysterious. What do you make of it, sir? I don't know what to make of it, said I. I don't think anybody knows what to make of it. The police don't, anyhow. 
the police he exclaimed with a note of derision yeah they're worse than a parcel of old women have they ever tried just a bit of service inquiry and the thing slips past of course the man was a stranger nobody cares that's about it my notion is that the police don't care the value of that match whether the thing's ever cleared up or not nine days wonder you know mr middlebrook still there's a deal of talk about i suppose you hear a good deal in this parlour of yours i suggested nights yes he said a murder's always a good subject of conversation at first those who come in here of an evening regular set there in from the village at the back of the cliffs they could talk of naught else starting first this and that theory it's died down a good deal to be sure there's been naught new to start it afresh on another tack but there is some talk even now and what's the general opinion i inquired i suppose there is one ay well i couldn't say that there's a general opinion he answered there's a many opinions and some queer notions too such as what i asked well said he with a laugh as if he thought the suggestion ridiculous there's one that comes nearer being what you might call general than any of the others there's a party of the older men that come here who are dead certain that quick was murdered by a woman a woman i exclaimed whatever makes them think that those footmarks answered clegg you'll remember mr middlebrook that there were two sets of prints in the sand thereabouts one was certainly quick's they fitted his boots the other was very light delicate you might call em made without doubt by some light-footed person well some of the folk hereabouts went along to kernwick cove the day of the murder and looked at those prints they say the lighter ones were made by a woman i let my recollections go back to the morning on which i had found quick lying dead on the patch of yellow sand of course i said reflectively those marks are gone now gone ay exclaimed clegg long since there's been a good many times washed over that spot since this mr middlebrook but they haven't washed out the fact that a man's life was let out there and whether it was man or woman that stuck that knife into the poor fellow's shoulders it'll come out some day i'm not so sure of that said i there's a goodly percentage of unsolved mysteries of that kind well i do believe in the old saying he declared murder will out what i don't like is the notion that the murderer may be walking about this quarter free unsuspected why i may have served him with a glass of beer what's to prevent it murderers don't carry a label on their foreheads what do you think the police ought to do or ought to have done i asked i think they should have started working backwards he replied with decision i read all i could lay hands on in the newspapers and i came to the conclusion that there was a secret behind those two men come two brothers murdered on the same night hundreds of miles apart that's no common crime mr middlebrook who were these two men noah and salter quick what was their past history that's what the police ought to have busied themselves with if they lost or couldn't pick up the scent here they should have tried far back go backward they should if they want to go forward this was the second time i had heard that advice 
and I returned to Ravensdean Court, reflecting on it. Certainly it was sensible. Who, after all, were Noah and Salter Quick? What was their life story? I was wondering how that could be brought to light, when, having dressed for dinner, and I was going downstairs, Mr. Cazalet's door opened, and he quietly drew me inside his room. "'Middlebrook,' he whispered, though he had carefully shut the door. "'You're a sensible lad, and I'll acquaint you with the matter. This very morning, as I was taking my bit of a dip, my pocket-book was stolen out of the jacket that I'd left on the shore. Stolen, Middlebrook!' "'Was there anything of great value in it?' I asked. "'I there was,' answered Mr. Cazalet. "'There was that in it which, in my opinion, might be some sort of a clue to the real truth about yon man's murder. End of chapter 8